most of you know that earlier this year, I was on a trek with eight other pastors and leaders, and we actually uh, climbed to the base camp of Mount Everest. Our goal was to uh, do this trek to raise some money to help plant churches around the world. That's a huge passion of ours here at Connect. But I think for me, one of the things that made the expedition just so much more fulfilling was the guy who led our trek, his name was Lakpa Sherpa, Lakpa Sherpa. And uh, he was part of the Sherpa community that lived there in the Himalayas, who make their livelihood from all the climbing and trekking that goes on throughout the year. That's what their their whole um, people group is, is built upon, just the income they're able to gain from the climbers and the trekkers. So it was so cool to have him because he knew everything about the area. Any questions we had, he could answer those questions. If it was a question about a mountain or some um, flowers or something about the trail, the weather, he just knew everything because he'd grown up there all his life. And it was so fascinating to not know, not just to know that we had someone who could answer our questions, but he had these amazing stories that he would tell us. Incredible stories about life growing up there in the Himalayas. There was one day that we actually went and we stopped for a few hours at this small house. It was kind of a museum devoted to telling the stories of some of the climbs of Mount Everest that have taken place over the year. And in particular, from the perspective of the Sherpa community how much they've been involved in these climbs. You hear of these famous mountain climbers who have summited Everest, but they couldn't do it were it not for the local Sherpas who were helping them carry their gear and go in with them. So as we're going around this little kind of museum, we come across the exhibit for the very first American expedition. It was in 1963. It was 10 years after Sir Edmund Hillary climbed Mount Everest. In 1963, 10 years later, the very first American reached the summit of Mount Everest. And in that exhibit was this picture of all of the Sherpas that were a part of that expedition. And Lakpa, our Sherpa, with great pride, pointed to this one guy in the red circle. He said, that's my dad. My dad was part of the American expedition that summited Mount Everest. I said to him, wow, I said, that's so cool. Your dad reached the summit of Mount Everest. He said, well, actually, he didn't. His job was to carry supplies up to the the final stop before the summit. It was a point called the South Summit, and his dad actually went up there four different times. He went down, got more supplies, went back up to the South Summit, went down, went four different times. I said, how close is the South Summit to to the peak of Mount Everest? He said, 200 feet. Yeah, he got to within 200 feet. That's the journey from the front door to the back of this building. Now, it's 200 feet that way. So that's, it doesn't, you're not going to get there as quickly as you would walk in the length of our building. But I said, was he like disappointed? He said, no. He was so honored and privileged to be a part of this great group. And to know that he was able to help some other climbers reach their goal was just such a reward for him. Just fascinating. And he had story after story just like this that he would tell of growing up and life there. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on a trip or a tour, isn't the experience so much greater when you're with someone who knows all about what you're looking at? That tour guide who can answer the questions, it just brings everything to life. And this morning, we're actually gonna look at a, a wonderful encounter that took place in the Bible between an individual who was searching, somebody who was, who was interested in the things of God, who wants to understand more who God was, and he comes in contact with somebody 
who's able to answer his questions, somebody who knows the answer, somebody who's able to tell him the story of Jesus. And like our guide on this particular trek, I think this encounter for this person must have been like, man, I'm so glad that you were here at this time to tell me these things. But the great thing about this story, as we're going to read it this morning, is I think we're going to start to see some some parallels of how this can play into our lives as well. Some parallels about how maybe even in our own story of finding a faith in Jesus, in following Jesus, play out through this story. I love this story because it illustrates to me um, the thing that many of us in this room can relate to, and that's how God has been at work in our lives, sometimes even before we realized those interactions, those conversations, those, those things that happen in our life that actually play a role in the journey that we're upon. And it can show us what it's like to have God reveal himself to us through somebody else. So I'm hoping you'll be encouraged this morning because you'll either relate to the person who experienced God through somebody else, or maybe you'll know I was the person that helped to kind of reveal, to show God. It was through me that this person had this encounter with Jesus. So the story is found in the New Testament book of Acts. So Acts is the very first book after the, the four Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the four Gospels tell the life of Jesus. So four different individuals telling their perspective of the life of Jesus. So we can read those four accounts of Jesus' life. They're fascinating. But then we jump to the very next book, and it's called The Acts, or The Acts of the Apostles. And it's like chapter 2. It's like the, the sequel. Okay, we've, we've learned about Jesus. We've learned that he, he was born. He lived a wonderful life. He died. He rose again. But what happened next? Well, the book of Acts tells us. And if you've never read this, it's a wonderful book um, to read from beginning to end because it's basically like this historical account of how the church began. It's incredible stories. And the church is exploding in growth, so much so that the disciples who have been left with the mission now of building the church, the disciples, they say, listen, we can't handle this rapid growth. We need some help. So they recruited some leaders, and there's a a story in Acts chapter 7 of these seven leaders that they recruited, and one of the leaders that they recruited was a guy by the name of Philip. This is the first time we hear of this guy, Philip. So we know he's obviously um, responsible, and he has some leadership gifts because the disciples selected him as one of just seven leaders to help run this very first church. But we're going to learn today that there was more to Philip than just his leadership skills. Philip loved Jesus. And Philip wanted other people to hear about Jesus. Philip wanted other people to experience Jesus in the way that he'd experienced Jesus. So much so that Philip had a nickname. He was known as Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist, because he wanted to just tell people about Jesus. So let's look this morning at how God used Philip the Evangelist to impact just one person's life. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 goes as follows. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, who was the queen of Ethiopia. So this guy, he's traveled to Jerusalem. He's now on his way back to Ethiopia, but he's incredibly important. He's he's, um, a servant to the queen of Ethiopia. It says, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So he had a connection with God. 
He understood who good God was, the God of the Old Testament. He, he kind of understood this. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. So Philip ran over. And he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied to the Ethiopian, how can I, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So I love how this story plays out. What we're going to discover this morning, that there are some parallels between our lives today, how, how situations like this can play out in our lives today. In fact, I think there are three key elements in this story, three key elements that can kind of be um, presented in the form of three questions Three questions that we can see from this story that, that we can ask ourselves. Three questions that we can ask ourselves in relation to this story. And questions that I'm hoping that you'll leave this morning asking yourself. Questions that, that will cause you to think, what, what's my answer to that question? Now the truth is, you're going to relate to one of the two people in this story. Maybe you connect more with the Ethiopian. You're on a journey. It's not that you don't believe in God. You believe there is a God. This Ethiopian, he was there. He was worshiping God. But, but you've yet to discover the difference that Jesus can make in your life. You've yet to discover what it can look like to just give your life completely to Jesus. You've been coming for a while now. You're, you're checking things out. You're not opposed to being here in church. But, but if you're honest with yourself, you would say, well, I've not yet fully given my life to Jesus. I've still got some questions. So maybe this morning you connect a little bit more to the Ethiopian story. But I'm guessing there's several of us here this morning that will connect more with Philip. We have encountered Jesus. We've experienced him in our lives. He's, he's changed who we are. We, we've made a decision. We, we know there was a time when our life was going in one direction and we realized, man, I, I don't know if this is the right way. And, and we've paused and we've stopped and we've, we've had this encounter with Jesus and it's actually turned our lives around. We live differently now because we follow Jesus. We said, Jesus, I want to live my life, but I want to live my life the way you would have me live my life. If you were here today, this is the direction you would have me go. And if that's you this morning, then I'm hoping that you connect more with Philip in this story. So in light of that this morning, I'm going to be speaking more to you this morning. And the first question in relation to, to what Philip went through here, the first question I would ask you this morning is, who are you walking beside? Who are you walking beside? We learned that Philip went and walked alongside this Ethiopian. And I would ask you this morning, who are you walking beside? And here's why I'd like us to, to ponder that question. Because it's been my experience in my years of, of being a Jesus follower and being involved in churches that there's this wonderful moment for some people where they, they have this transformation. They have an encounter with Jesus and they become a follower of Jesus. And then what starts to happen in their life is they start to surround themselves more with other followers of Jesus. 
they get more involved in the church, they get more connected, their, their social circle starts to change and, and the people they hang out with now are other followers of Jesus and they stay more connected to, to people who look like them and think like them and they start to maybe even distance themselves a little bit from the people that they used to spend time with who, who are still not following Jesus, who have different vision, different values in their life. Now I get that. I actually think it's really important when you do make a decision to follow Jesus, to surround yourself with people who have the same values and the same, it helps you grow in your relationship with God. It's important to have people in your life who, who have the same thoughts with regards to um, Jesus to be walking alongside you. But sometimes we can do that at the expense of people who don't yet know him. Because there are people in our lives still People in our circles that, like the Ethiopian in the story, don't yet know him. And if we're not connected to them anymore, then who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them about Jesus? So yes, stay connected to your friends who, who follow Jesus too, but, but, but keep, be aware still of those around you who don't. Because I think Jesus wants us to be aware of those who have yet to find him. And there are many um, pastors and evangelists and Jesus followers over the years who have had that same passion. One was a man by the name of William Booth. William Booth was a fellow countryman of mine. He was a, a Brit from back in the 18 and 1900s, and he was the founder of the Salvation Army. He's the guy who started the Salvation Army in, in Great Britain, and it's now a worldwide organization. And one of the things that, that spurred him on, one of the things that really inspired him to want to start this wonderful ministry is his heart for people who didn't yet know Jesus. He was an evangelist. He wanted people to discover Jesus the same way that he had discovered Jesus. And it just filled him so much that it was all he ever thought about. So much so that he actually wrote a collection of essays. They were, they were called Visions. Um, in 1906, they were published. And these, these essays, these visions, these images were, were these stories that he had that helped him kind of visualize the world in which we live, visualize the mission of the church and the Christ followers. One of his most famous essays, visions that he wrote, was his vision for the lost. The vision for the lost. In it, he describes this dream or vision he had concerning people in the world who don't yet know Jesus. He said he was traveling in a, in a carriage one day, and as he was looking out the window, just contemplating this thought, he, he saw this picture, this vision of this dark and stormy night. And he could see an ocean with waves, you know, it was a, a storm-covered ocean. And every now and again, he would see lightning flash. And as the lightning flashed, it lit up the sky. And in that moment, you could see people, hundreds of people in this ocean, crying out to be rescued, crying out for someone to save them as they were, they were drowning in this stormy ocean. He goes on to say, then out of the ocean, I saw a mighty rock that rose up. And all around this rock was this platform and I could see that there were some people were finding their way to the platform and were finding their way out of their predicament, out of their um, terrifying situation, onto the safety of this rock. And he says he was so filled with delight to see the people climbing up out of the ocean onto the safety of this platform. And then listen, listen to what he said next. Well, looking more closely... I found a number of those who had been rescued industriously working and scheming 
by ladders, ropes, boats, and other means more effective to deliver the poor strugglers out of the sea. Here and there were some who actually jumped into the water, regardless of the consequences in their passion to rescue the perishing. And I hardly know which gladdened me the most. The sight of the poor drowning people climbing onto the rocks and reaching a place of safety, or the devotion and self-sacrifice of those whose whole being was wrapped up in the effort for their deliverance. In this vision, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, I was just, just captivated in this moment of, I don't know what it is that I'm more happy about, seeing people who were drowning rescued climbing up onto the platform, or seeing people who are compelled to want to rescue them, who were safe but were choosing to put their lives at risk to go back and rescue those who were still drowning. Both filled me with so much joy. But then he goes on in his vision to talk about some disappointment that he experienced. He says, as I looked on, some who had only recently found themselves rescued from the ocean, they were now trying to climb higher and higher on the rock to get further and further away from the ocean and higher and higher towards safe ground. He says, so the multitude went on right before them, struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness, but all they did was continued on. He said, I saw something else that confused me. Some who had made it safely onto the platform were now shrieking and crying out themselves. They're safe, they're out of the ocean, but they're crying out for help. And their cries were different. Some wanted him to come and stay with them, spend his time and strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some letters he had written to them. Some wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be quite sure that they should never slip off again into the ocean. In this vision, his, his heart was gripped by this idea that there were people who not long ago were drowning themselves but now have been rescued and rather than be inspired to help others are now climbing further and further away from those who need rescuing and are crying out more and more for help in their own situations. And I think he was, this vision he had probably was wrapped up in what was going on in the church in his day. The church in his day may be experiencing some of the things that the church in our day experiences, where we get caught up in our own business, forgetting there are still people who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. And if we won't go alongside them, who will? If we won't draw alongside them, then who will? The truth of the matter is that like the guy in the chariot, these people will never know about Jesus unless someone like Philip is willing to walk alongside. So my question to you this morning, as I look at verse 29, it says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. That's such an important part of the story. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So my question is, Whose carriage are you walking along beside this morning? Whose carriage are you walking along beside this morning? You don't need to have figured it all out. You haven't got to have a whole speech ready, a whole script ready, a whole plan of what you're going to do when you get there. You just have to have a plan, like Philip did, to be willing to walk alongside the carriage of someone that God's put in your life. Someone who may not yet know Jesus, but you feel compelled to just walk alongside where they're at. 
knowing this message is what I was going to speak on this morning. And we actually, Casey, my wife and I, we had a gathering last night with our family. Great time with the brothers and sisters, the cousins, nephews, nieces, but my in-laws were there. And a little chat with you, there he is, as humble as ever. He's uh, my father-in-law, who's with us this morning. He, um, he was there, and we were talking about this very concept. And he told me this story. In fact, he told me the story before I told him what I was speaking. I was like, Collins, that's what I'm speaking on tomorrow. He told me this story. So him and his wife, they grew up here in Washington. So from time to time, they'll reconnect with people locally who they haven't seen since high school, you know, people they knew years ago. And this one guy they reconnected with, his, his wife has since passed away, and uh, through business they connected, and, and he said, hey, why don't you come over one night? Come and come see me and Jana, we'll cook you some steaks. That's all it takes. I'm like, come on, you, you, you invite me over for steaks, I'll go wherever. Any of you want me to come to your house, just invite me for steaks, you, you've got me. <laughs> or cake, or steak and cake. I'll, I'm there, okay, either one of those, and I'm coming to your house. <laughs> so this guy's like, yeah, I'll come along. It was a moment where, and I said this to Collins, you just were walking alongside his carriage. Just, just come on over, have dinner with us. And he did, he came along. And it was just an opportunity to, instead of being in our own worlds, looking at our own things, to, to see somebody who maybe God's put in our life, this chance encounter, to say, hey, walk alongside me, or allow me to walk alongside you. And I love what happens next, because I think this is important for us to understand as well as followers of Jesus. So, so first, the question that we all have to ask, especially if we're followers of Jesus this morning, is who are you walking beside? Who are you walking beside? Whose who's carriage, whose chariot are you walking along beside? But then, what are you asking? What are you asking? Because as followers of Jesus, let's be honest, we can get really good, can't we, at telling if we're not careful, we can be really good at telling people what we believe, whether it's from behind the screen on a keyboard, letting people know what we believe, sometimes face-to-face, -face, letting people know what we believe as Christians, letting people know where they're wrong, we're right. We're very good at telling people about Jesus, telling people about what we believe, telling people about what they're doing wrong. And I don't know about you, but when I think of being told to do something, I go right back to my childhood when my parents told me to clean up my room or unpack the dishwasher. I didn't like that. <laughs> Your kids, when you tell them to do what they need to do, they don't like it. No one likes being told. But man, it's so different when you ask someone. Ask someone a question. Listen to their story. Instead of telling someone, and, and, and this is what happens in this story. We're going to see in a moment how Philip, instead of telling this guy something, started out by asking him something. Because the truth is, when you're willing to ask something instead of telling people something, you'll never cease to be amazed at what you can learn if you're willing to ask instead of tell. I, um, I love to ski, snow ski. Uh, I make it a goal to try and ski at least once a year if I can. I've got a buddy, Nate, who lives down in Kansas City, and he and I will meet up and we'll go normally to uh, Colorado area for two or three days, and we'll try and get some skiing in every day, every year. And uh, we love it. And I don't see Nate for a long time. So when we're together, we've got so much to catch up on with work and family and that kind of thing. So you'd think that me and Nate, we'd want to talk just to one another all the time. But Nate laughs at me because when we get on chairlifts, normally there's me and Nate and there'll be a couple of other strangers. Rather than just talk to Nate, I just can't help myself. I just want to talk to the guy next to me or the lady next to me. I mean, we're stuck here for the next six or seven minutes on this chairlift and I'd love to know your story. So before the chair's even left the thing, I'm, I'm turning to the person next to me. How's it going? You having a good day? 
Where are you from? I'm asking these questions, and it's fascinating some of the people I've met over the years on chairlifts and some of the stories they've told me. I remember this was a few years ago, and Nate still laughs about this, just this chance encounter, being on the chair, talking to this lady next to me and saying, where are you from? She goes, I'm from here in uh, Colorado. But I tell you, as soon as she started speaking, I could tell she wasn't from Colorado, like I'm not from Washington. I was like, you sound like you're from England. She goes, I am. I said, me too. She goes, I could tell. I said, where are you from? She said, London. I said, so am I. I said, where in London? She said, Croydon. I said, so am I. I said, where exactly in Croydon? She told me the town. It was near where I was at. I said, where did you go to school? She said, I went to Cromhurst. It was this girl's school just up the road from Whitgift, the boys' school that I went to. I said, no way. She said, I went to Cromhurst. I said, I went to Whitgift. She goes, you're kidding. So my boys' school and her girls' school every year used to have these school discos. They'd put on a school disco at a nearby golf club and all the boys from the boys' school got to go. And it was fantastic. I mean, you imagine being in a boys' school and suddenly you get to go to a disco with the girls' school. It's like, woo! At middle school, this was fantastic. I said, it's very rude, but do you mind me asking how old you are? So she was like one year younger than me. I said, we probably were at the same discos. She goes, I know. (laughs) Now, you're thinking, well, maybe you danced with her. No, I know for a fact I didn't because every girl I asked always said no. I never danced with any girls at any of these discos. (laughs) But this could have been one of the girls I asked and who said no to me. And it brought back all that trauma and pain of being a middle schooler and having girls reject me at the school disco. (laughs) But I never would have known this if I'd got on that chairlift and as it's pulling away said, hey, I've got some stuff to tell you. Sit tight. We've only got seven minutes. I've got a lot of things I want to tell you. I'm Dave. And, you know, and I just talked and talked and told her all this stuff. No, I listened to her story. It was fascinating what I got to hear. Philip, as he walked alongside this Ethiopian, he starts by asking a question. Philip asked, the verse says, Do you understand what you are reading? Philip's an evangelist. He's had this encounter with Jesus. He's got so much he could tell this guy. But instead of telling him anything, he says to this guy, what's that you're reading? Do you understand it? And as the guy, the Ethiopian, starts to unpack what it is he's reading and the confusion he's having, it opens this door for Philip to say, You're not going to believe this, but I think God has sent me here because I've got the answer to the questions you're asking. You are seeking something, and I've got the answer for you. God is already at work in your life. You don't realize this, but God's prepared you for this conversation with me because I'm about to explain everything, help answer these questions that you're asking right now. A few years back, I was um, very fortunate. I got to travel with a, a group down to Ecuador. So over the years, since we launched in 2013, um, Connect Church has had a wonderful partnership with an organization called Compassion, Compassion International. Uh, they help kids in poverty around the world. And one of the ways they help is by tying the kids in these areas to local churches. So in Ecuador, we found out that there are a lot of kids in poverty who compassion could help, but there was no local church to connect them with. And the reason was there was a church that wanted to start, but they just didn't have the funds to build the building for that church to meet in. So we said, well, we've got the funds. We can help with that. So over the years, we've raised money. We've helped build several churches down in Ecuador. And on this one particular trip, I went with this group, and our goal was just to be there for two or three days to see what was going on so that we could go away and raise some funds and build a church. 
And some of the folks on this trip, they went down knowing all about this, but one of the girls who came with them from the organization they were a part of, um, she, she didn't have a relationship with Jesus herself. She had a relationship with all these other girls and, and she knew about them and she knew about their, their relationships with Jesus, but she herself didn't. And I can remember one day, we were actually riding from the hotel out to the area. We sat on the bus and having a conversation, just me and her. And rather than me telling her lots of stuff, I just was asking her questions and listening to her story. She told me how she'd grown up in South America, how she had a very strong Catholic upbringing, but she'd never really had a personal faith of her own. She started to tell me some stories about some things that have been happening recently in her life that were just really kind of coincidental, she said. It's really kind of strange, these things. My grandma, she said, I've just been thinking a lot about this, this thing my grandma used to say to me. I've been reading this book, and it's been reminding me of some, some things in my childhood. And, and the more she told me, the more I listened, the more I could see God was at work in her life. As she's telling me these stories, it was clear that God was already kind of stirring up some, some questions. She was kind of like this, this guy in the chariot to where she's, these things are going on and, and she doesn't realize it, but God is moving in her life. I said, can I tell you a story? One of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told. He told this story, they were called parables. He told this story about a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one day he realized that 99 of them were safe at home, but one of them was missing. And this crazy story that Jesus told, rather than just make do with the 99 that he had and just say, oh, well, you know, I've, I've lost one, but I've still got 99. No, he went out in search of the one that was lost because that's how much those sheep meant to him. He went out, he pursued that lost sheep until he found him and brought him safely home. As I'm listening to you tell me some of these stories that you think are just coincidence or just all I can hear is that story of the shepherd. I, I just see how Jesus is pursuing you at the moment. It's so clear that this is happening because he, like that lost sheep, he's looking for you. As I said this to her, her eyes just filled up with tears. And I think it's because I connected what was already happening with what I knew about Jesus. Very much in the same way as this Philip made the connection with the guy in the chariot. My father-in-law, Collins, completed his story about the guy who, when he came over for steak, and they started to listen to one another's stories. Collins was able to share his own perspective, his own worldview of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, and, and kind of share his story and see the connections with this other guy, that God is already in this guy's life, already at work in this guy's life. He just needs somebody to help make that connection. And that's what Philip did. In verse 35, it says, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip has walked alongside, he's listened and asked questions, and then beginning with where the guy was at, he was able to tell him the good news about Jesus. When we stop telling and start listening and start asking, we'll find a point where we can actually say, let me help you answer that question. Let me tell you the good news about Jesus. Because this morning, we love that you're here at Connect Church. And we'd love to see you get connected and be more involved. But the reality is, our prime goal here is that you get to connect with Jesus. I hope you connect with us. I hope your kids get connected in the kids' area. I hope you meet some friends here and have some great conversations in the lobby. But ultimately, I really hope and pray that you get to discover the same Jesus that many of us here this morning have discovered. 
I want you to fully hear and understand the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. Because sometimes we overcomplicate it, but actually it's very simple. The very simple good news about Jesus is that God loves you so much this morning, every one of you. Wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, it makes no difference. It doesn't change how much God loves you. And God desperately wants to be a part of your life. The challenge is that God is perfect and we're not. When we do things wrong, it separates us from a perfect God. So what many of us do is we try to be better. We try to do as much right as possible in the hope that we've done enough right by the time we die that we can have that encounter with God, we can have that relationship with God. But the truth is we'll never do enough right. We'll never not do enough wrong. And knowing that, God chose, because he loves us so much, God chose to solve the problem for us. And Philip explained how he did that to this guy in the chariot. He sent Jesus, his only son, like a lamb, to the slaughter. He sent Jesus to die in our place. And because he did, we can now have a relationship with God through Jesus. You might say, well, how much work do I have to do? What do I have to do? You know, is there a certain amount of times I need to come to church? No. It's just acknowledging that you understand that Jesus did this for you. That's the good news. The good news is that he's one prayer away. It's just a case of us saying, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. I've been living my life this way, but man, I want to, I want to experience what it's like to live my life with you as a part of it. And that's it. That's, that's the only thing. That's the good news. Is it's just that simple step. And then we grow from there. That was the good news that Philip told the Ethiopian. That's the good news for us this morning. And if that's the first time you've heard the good news this morning, or if you've heard it before and um, you've not really done anything more than just believe it before, then, then the final question is going to be for you. And the final question this morning is, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because when we look in this story, we're going to discover what the Ethiopian did. Because I stopped short of the last two verses. But listen to how the story ends. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. That's kind of funny because it says this. And there's no real explanation as to why he asked that question. Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I think what's going on here is, is a guy by the name of Luke who wrote the account of Acts, he knew that as he was writing this, he was writing to an audience that understood what it meant when people followed Jesus. When people made a decision to follow Jesus, two things happened. There was an, an inward decision to accept Jesus in their hearts. There was an inward decision to follow Jesus. There was something inside of them that said, I believe this to be true. I'm going to make that decision myself personally, and I'm going to follow Jesus. But then there was an outward demonstration of that inward decision. The two almost went hand in hand. There was an outward demonstration of the inward decision. So even though um, Luke doesn't explain this, what we can conclude from this passage is that Philip had helped this Ethiopian make that inward decision. We know that as the, the truth of the story, this prophet Isaiah came to life for this guy, he got it. He understood it. He said, I want Jesus the way you've got Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. So much so that he was ready to, to take the step. And the next step was to be baptized. Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? 
This, in the days of Jesus, was the, the symbol, the outward symbol of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, was to be baptized. Just a few chapters before, Peter, one of the disciples, stood in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem and told the whole story of Jesus, who everyone knew because it had just happened, Jesus who lived and died and rose again, and he said, he's alive today, he wants to be a part of your life. And it was such a powerful story that he shared that that day, listen to what happens. Acts 2, 38 and 41, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000. So on that day, not only did 3,000 people make a decision to follow Jesus, the same 3,000 people said, and we want to get baptized to demonstrate that we've made that decision. You imagine being the disciples, the rest of them that day. I wonder if some of them came along ready for the baptism. They, they, they bought some towels, a couple of changes of clothes. And suddenly, hands going up everywhere, 3,000. They're like, we're gonna need more towels. <laughs> this is a lot of people to get baptized. <laughs> but that was what people did. That was how they responded to say, yes, I wanna be a follower of Jesus and I want everyone to know about it, so I'm gonna be baptized. And we do that here at Connect. Two weeks from now, we have a baptism service that'll be happening here at Connect. There'll be a tank full of water here on the platform, and there will be people who you'll get to see go into the water and come back out again because they want publicly to make that profession of that inward faith an outward expression to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I want everyone to know I want to be baptized. And that might be unique for you. You might come from a church where um, they, the baptism service was for children or babies or infants. So I understand that some churches do that. Here at Connect, we don't do that because we believe that baptism should be a conscious decision that we make, that we understand why we're making it. Some of you might say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. We had nothing to do with that. Have you ever come to the place of saying, I consciously want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to show that to the world by being baptized? Have you ever taken that step yourself? Because that's what happens here. That's what happened to this Ethiopian. His demonstration of his decision to follow Jesus was him choosing to be baptized. So we have baby dedication services. We pray with families and we, we pray for the baby and we commit to serving, to helping them as a church. But our baptism service is this wonderful opportunity to see people who have made a decision to follow Jesus go public with that. And I wonder if there are some of you who are still on the fence this morning. Some of you here have made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been following him all your life. Maybe you, it's more of a recent thing. Some of you can pinpoint the exact moment. You're like, I remember it. I, I knelt down and prayed. I was, I was in my, my chair at home and I, I prayed. Or I was here on a Sunday morning and I prayed this prayer. I remember it clearly. That was the day where I said to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. Others of you, you may not remember that exact moment. You might say, well, I've, I've been going to church for a while now, but I remember there was a time where I just really started to, to change the way I was living, to really believe this, to let it impact my life. And, and since then, my life has changed. So you may remember the specific moment. Maybe it was a kind of a gradual process. But everyone here this morning who has made that decision to be baptized, they, they can tell you when that happened. I remember the day. I remember the day when I, I made that decision to be baptized. For me, it was just days after I made the decision to follow Jesus. For others, it was weeks or months later, but I remember that time 
where that inward decision I made became a public declaration as I was baptized. So as I close out this morning, this is a bit of a challenge. I put some of you in a little bit of a predicament. Because it may be that you've been following Jesus for a while and you've yet to be baptized. And as we read this story, you're realizing, well, when that guy made that decision to follow Jesus, that's what he did. So why am I not doing that? And you'll need to answer that question. Maybe you can't come up with a good answer to that question and you realize, I think two weeks from now, I need to do this. Because while I know this is an inward decision, I want a public declaration. I want to take that, that step and say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. So let's look at those three questions as we close out this morning. One more time. What are you, who are you walking beside? Who are you walking beside this morning? Are there people in your life you're walking alongside who have yet to discover Jesus? And what are you asking? Are you telling them or are you listening? And then for all of us this morning, what am I going to do? If I've, yet, if I've not yet been baptized, is it time? Is it time for me to be baptized? Chris is going to come up at the end and close out with some announcements, and he's going to talk about our baptism here in a couple of weeks. Maybe you need to sign up today and say, I want to be baptized. It's time for me to do this, to, to go public with this decision. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for, as we look back, the people in our lives, like me when I was on that mountain, that, that guide who knew so much. I can think of the people in my life before I was following you who, who had such a great relationship with you, who spoke about what you were doing in their lives and it, it transformed me, it challenged me. It was a part of my journey in coming to discover you. Some of us have that same wonderful privilege to have conversations with friends and family members who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, but we're walking alongside them at this time. And as we walk alongside them and, and listen, not tell, listen to their story, we, we see you at work in their lives. And maybe, Lord, we'll have the opportunity to connect some dots for them. But the way that story ends is of this Ethiopian pulling over, saying, I want today to respond to this. I want today to be baptized. Lord, I pray if there are any here this morning who are still kind of on the fence, if this, is what you, if this is the next step for you, Lord, challenge them, I pray. Challenge them this morning, Lord, to make that bold step, to make that decision, to say it's time for me to go public with my faith, to make that proclamation, to be baptized. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.